good to be here, isn't it? I'm, I'm enjoying myself already, and it's great to worship and to be in his presence. And it's so exciting, I think, to carve out time um, to say, yes, Father, I want to be in your presence. I know for some of us, we've probably had a, a busy day or a busy week or a busy life. And uh, <laughs> you're thinking, actually, my whole life's been busy. And it's good to sort of come and say, actually, this is time with my father. This is time that I want to have with him. It's mission critical. And I think it's mission critical for many reasons. Um, I want to share a bit of my own story before I hand over to Adam around this whole area of fatherlessness and God as my father. Because I feel that many of us in different ways have grown up fatherless to one degree or another. I just want to share a bit of my own story. I did grow up in a Christian home and I have a very loving mother and father, which I'm very grateful for. My dad was in the army, which meant that we moved out to Germany because the army was stationed around the world and we moved to Germany, which was very exciting for me as a kid. Um, But at the age of nine, um, the decision was taken that I was to go to boarding school here in England, in Birmingham. Any Brummies here? I'm the only... Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Fantastic. And... um, but it was really hard, I've got to say. I, I got there. I mean, I just did the thing that I was meant to do. I'm nine. I kind of, you know, take my suitcase and I get there. And um, when, I, when I got there, I realized um, that I had to just get on with it. I just had to sort of get on with life and, and, and do stuff. And it's only now when I look back, um, I realized that actually I really did feel in a very real way fatherless. In fact, I felt parentless because my parents were physically in another country. And um, I realized I felt very, very unaccompanied. Um, If there's one thing I love doing in life, it's doing life with other people. And I think part of it is back then, I just felt very unaccompanied. And there were no parents around to ask anything. And um, certainly at the boarding school I was at, believe me, you didn't want to show any weakness. So you just kind of, you know, you just got on with it and uh, sort of, Mini adult, uh, whether it was homework, just working it out for yourself, or um, bullying. There was a lot of bullying at boarding school, and uh, just trying to work out, figure out a way of dealing with that. Um, as I got into my teenage years, working out what it is to be a man, how to deal with this thing called testosterone, um, <laughs> how to deal with anger, how to deal with envy, how to just live a normal life. And um, I didn't have parents around. I didn't have a father figure around. And I think on some things I did quite a good job, given that mum and dad weren't around. And on other things, I didn't do a good job. (laughs) I don't do a good job at all. Um, I remember once when uh, I was a little bit older, I was 17, and I was at home for the holidays. And that was the time that I did see mum and dad. And uh, I was trying to revise for my A-levels. And my dad uh, said to me, just sit down, son, and get on with it. (laughs) because I was kind of trying to do anything apart from revise. Sit down, get on with it. You can't leave the room until you've done some some work, some revision. And actually, I remember feeling, yes, that's my father sort of looking out for me, disciplining me, telling me what to do, and kind of being there for me. And actually, it was a great feeling, because I felt accompanied. And I realized I craved that. And... um, I've got permission to share this about my uh, father. I, 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 I've asked his permission for this. But um, I think growing up, actually, in a funny kind of way, I, I blamed my earthly father for a while for not being there for me during my teenage years. Um, I thought, how on earth could he have sent me off to boarding school and you know, to figure it all out for myself? Until I realized in many ways that his father had not actually been there for him either. <laughs> um, I kind of thought, how come he's not fathering me? Oh, yeah. His father, my dad's father, my granddad, uh, was a soldier in the Second World War. And um, my dad actually didn't meet him till he was about six. And my dad told me the story that there was a knock on the door one day uh, when he was about six. And he kind of opened the door and he shouted in, Mum, the son at the door. And there was a soldier there in army uniform. And the next door neighbor who was out the front says, Colin, that's my dad, that's your dad, that's your daddy. And he looked up and that was the first time he'd sort of, come across his dad and uh, uh, I think you know 
when he told me that story himself, he had a tear in his eye. He, I don't think he, you know, when you start a story and you get to the end and you suddenly realize you're sort of crying a little bit, but you hadn't intended to. And it was a bit like that. And I realized that actually there's areas of my own dad's life where he wasn't fathered. And I think the thing is, no matter how old we are or how young we are, we all need to be fathered by God. And um, just come back to my own story, I, I finished boarding school. Uh, you know, I've lived a really privileged life, I've got to say. I went off to university, I got good grades, I got, got a good job down in London, and then um, I was a Christian. And then one weekend, this was quite a few years ago now, uh, just like kind of a weekend like this, I decided to go on this Christian conference, which I think was a father heart conference. We're, we're not the first. So. And... Um, I remember the very first bit, I, I kind of went there, it was a Saturday morning actually, I was thinking, what am I doing here on a Saturday, I should be in bed, I was in my 20s, and uh, the speaker kind of said, uh, her, her main point was this, she said, you need to receive the love of the Father, and I was like, tick, yeah, I know that, next, uh, what's your next point? And for an hour, she kept talking about, you need to receive the love of the Father. I was like, oh, come on, are there no other points? You know, is that, is that the only point? You know, I kind of, I've understood that, you know, what else... It, and that's all she said for about an hour. You need to receive the love of your heavenly father. You need to receive the love of your heavenly father. And then they got to that bit at the end where they say, come up if you want prayer to receive love of your heavenly father. And by this stage, I think I had pins and needles in my legs. So I thought, right, I'll get up. And, and so I went up to the front and uh, I stood there to receive prayer like this. <laughs> and the person who came to pray with me said, do you actually want to receive the love of the father? I was like, uh-huh. It's like, do you want to just symbolically hold your hands out like this, just as a way of saying, you know, you want to... So I was like, okay, okay, fine, okay, I'll stand there and look like a penguin. So, uh, so I stood there and put my hands out, and um, people started praying, and then this guy stood up at the front, a bit like Paul did just then, he came up and said, can I have the microphone? And the, <laughs> this guy came up to the front, I was down sort of where you are, and he just said these words from Luke, he said, these words are for everyone, but I believe they're for one person in particular. And he said this, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And at that point, I went from just standing there, I just started to weep and weep and weep and weep. And I think I used up all the conference tissues from what I remember. No one else had a look in on the, on the conference tissues. And, uh, and then I carried on weeping a bit. And then I started to wail. And it was really embarrassing. There was snot everywhere. And it was kind of, it was one of those sort of times where, but you know what? I, and I didn't quite know what was happening at the time. But I look back and I realize, I think three things. Were, I think I was mourning in one way that loss of what hadn't happened when I was growing up. And I think I was just like, oh. <laughs> um, I think in a funny kind of way I was forgiving to starting that process of forgiveness. And then, actually, I just felt, I did feel just a huge sense of filling with God's love. And it was an amazing time. And it was one of those where I looked up at the end and everyone else has gone for coffee. And you're still there. And you think, oh, no. You know, I'm really sorry. Yeah, have I used up all your time? You know, And, um, and so that was a very profound time for me. And, um, and since then, everything's been absolutely perfect. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's been battles and blessings, but what I've learned, what that time has taught me personally is that that was the start, a really significant start of a process for me of um, being fathered by God, him filling in the gaps that were left in my upbringing uh, and him filling in those gaps. And it was very, um, I use the word sweet, it was very gentle. And it was, it was amazing. And if there's one thing I've learned, and that's why I'm pleased I'm here this evening, why I'm pleased we're all here this evening and hopefully tomorrow, is I need to keep coming back to the Father. You know, I leak. I leak that love. It kind of leaks out of me like a leaky bucket. And I've learned I have to keep coming back for more to receive that love, no matter how many times, because I so often forget it in my heart. So that's a little bit about me and a bit about my story. Adam's going to speak in a moment, but let's just where we're sitting. Let's just put our hands out just where we're sitting and let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your, your gentleness and your compassion upon us. 
your compassion upon us. Thank you that you are so loving. And Father, we don't want to live off yesterday's experience of you and your love. We need to know your love as beloved sons and daughters tonight afresh. And we say yes. We just want to say yes to you tonight, Lord. We say yes to you tonight. Amen. Let's give Adam a big round of applause as he talks to us. Good evening, everybody. It's really good to be here. Um, This idea of a conference was sort of first talked about just under a year ago. And uh, it's really exciting that it's finally here. There are some handouts there, and I'm going to ask the church leaders, because they don't do much work, um, <laughs> please could you make sure that, that those handouts get given out? That would be fab. Thank you. That's what Marcus told me to say. I, <laughs> he said I could get away with that. As you're... As you're uh, receiving the handout, let me just tell you, I don't stand here before you because I'm the best person that ever is going to speak on this subject. That's certainly not, the, not, uh, not true at all. I stand before you because I have received similar teaching. I have been impacted profoundly by the Father's love. Having been a Christian for 30 two or three years, I, about a year ago, just received a fresh revelation of the Father's love. And so it was the most, the most profound, impacting teaching and ministry time I've ever experienced in my life. And so I feel like I, I carry it in me. And so that's why I, I want to share this with you tonight, because I, I think this is so important for every single one of us. And even if you've heard something similar before, I really want to agree with what Marcus is saying, that we need a fresh revelation of the Father's love. Being a dad, as I am to three delightful children, is full of joy and it's also full of heartache And sometimes the gap between those two experiences, those two emotions, can be about 30 seconds. (laughs) Children can take you to the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in an incredible short amount of time. I often joke that I didn't have an anger problem before I became a dad. (laughs) Being a dad is challenging. My daughter, Lauren, she's seven. Um, she walked into our bedroom the other day, Karen and I were there, and she turned to my wife Karen and said, Karen, you, sorry, she said mum, mum, <laughs> we're not that modern, she said, she said mum, you are beautiful, she said dad, you're ishish, <laughs> I said to her, Lauren, I agree with you that mum's beautiful, but what do you mean I'm ish-ish? She said, well, you're not handsome, but you're not really ugly. (laughs) I said to her, do you kind of mean that I'm punching above my weight? And she said, yeah, probably, Dad. (laughs) Kids are great. They certainly can put you in your place. Now, if you're from Broadmead, you know that I haven't received the spiritual gift of joke-telling, but I'm going to give it a try anyway. A small boy came up to his dad and meekly said, Daddy, Daddy, can I have another glass of water, please? The dad replied, But I've given you ten glasses of water already, son. And the little boy said, Oh, yes, Daddy, but the bedroom is still on fire. (laughs) Alison, I will take you around with me wherever I speak. (laughs) At least someone will be laughing at my jokes. Do take a look at the, uh, the photo there, a compelling photograph. Some of you may have seen it before. It's taken in an airport arrivals hall. Two smiling faces. 
The older man is the father who has just arrived from Africa. He's a Kenyan man, and as you can see, he's immaculately dressed in a wonderful suit and tie. I could learn a great deal from him. He smiles, but if you look at the photo, we're not sure who he's smiling at. And the younger man is his son. A boy aged 10 who has folded his arms around his father's hands as the hands reach across the boy's shoulders. There is a look of total joy in the face of the boy. A portrait of bliss between a father and son. But do you know what? Pictures can be deceptive and cameras can lie. The boy, known to his father as Barry, has not seen his father for eight years. He was two years old when his father left his mother and returned to Africa. They are reunited for a few weeks before he will disappear again and the boy will never see his father again. Who is this boy so overjoyed with an encounter with his dad? Who is this son who's clinging on to his father's embrace? The dad knew the son as Barry. We know him as Barack Obama. The 44th president of the United States. And the story is told in his biography, Dreams of My Father, an honestly written account of his search for his father. It it is his story of a grown man's attempt to understand his own history and identity through learning about his father who abandoned him. A father he never really knew. It's a book which reveals much about our culture today and the world we live in. In 2008, before he became president, he was invited on Father's Day to speak at a church in Chicago. Barack Obama takes this opportunity to make a plea to the men of his community to make fatherhood a top priority. Let's just hear a short clip of that speech. upon which we build our lives, we are most dependent on the family. The family is that most important foundation. And we are called to recognize and honor how critical every father is to that foundation. They are teachers and coaches, they're mentors and they're role models. They are examples of success and the men who constantly push us towards success. But if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that too many fathers are also missing. Too many fathers are MIA. Too many fathers are AWOL. Missing from too many lives and too many homes. They've abandoned their responsibilities They're acting like boys instead of men. And the foundations of our family have suffered because of it. Barack Obama talking about the fatherless culture in the United States. What about our own country? What about the fatherless culture here in Britain? The Centre for Social Justice, a non-party political organisation, published some facts about the absence of fathers and its dire consequences. Now, if we could, are we nearly there? Here we go. 15% of babies in the UK are born without a resident biological father. And 7% have no father's name on the birth certificate. Children who grow up without a father present are 75% more likely to fail at school, 70% more likely to be drug addicts, 50% more likely to develop alcohol problems, 40% more likely to be in serious debt, 33% more likely to experience unemployment, 
70% of young offenders come from fatherless households. 85% of male prisoners have no contact with their fathers. Now, of course, there are children who grow up in wonderful lone parent families, and we want to honour them because that's a tough job. And, of course, these statistics aren't saying that every child who doesn't have a, f- a father in the home is, is going to be suffering from all these. But it does recognise that actually in our culture here in Britain we have an issue around the absence of fathers. And beyond what we see in our culture, beyond what is visible to us, of course there is a great battle taking place between light and darkness, good and evil. Isaiah 14 gives us an insight into what happened to an angel known as Lucifer who attempted to usurp God's authority. And Lucifer, now known as Satan, chose to rebel and become independent. He chose of his free will to become the ultimate orphan. He is no longer in the presence of the Father. He is the ultimate orphan. But also... He is the ultimate orphan maker. Right at the beginning of the story, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are walking with God. What a wonderful picture that is. Hanging out with their father. Who does Satan attack first? The children. The father's children. And they are separated from the Father's love. And they become spiritual orphans. And every human being since has been a spiritual orphan as a result. We are all separated from the Father's love and presence until the greatest moment in history. Until the moment of the incarnation, the moment that Jesus was born. We read in Galatians 4 verses 4 to 6, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, And the Spirit calls out, Abba, Father. Jesus came to rescue us from our orphan state. Jesus knew God personally and intimately as Abba, Father. Abba, in our language, Daddy. It was and is relational, not remote. We can know our heavenly dad intimately. Jesus came into the world while we were still far away from the Father. He came to die on the cross so that we who are far away could be brought near, having intimate access to Abba Father through the work of the cross and through the power of the Holy Spirit, thanks to what Jesus did All human beings can now be reconciled to their heavenly dad. We can be rescued from our orphan spirit and become sons and daughters of God by adoption, speaking and relating to dad in the same way that Jesus does. Now at that point I was expecting at least a hallelujah, maybe a round of applause. Let me try again. We can become sons and daughters of our heavenly dad by adoption, speaking and relating to dad in the same way that Jesus does. We can call him dad. We are no longer orphans. And now between Jesus returning to the father and his return at the final victory, those who have been adopted children of our heavenly Father, have many battles to fight. You see, Satan is still at work trying to create orphans. 
He seeks to wreak, sorry, wreck even, and cause heartache and pain on the earth by creating fatherless children wherever he can. Physically fatherless, but also spiritually fatherless. But the church is dad's army. We are... We are dad's army. We are dad's army. The church is dad's army. And we are on the winning side. We are dad's army. However, we're not called to be a passive audience singing ourselves to death in church. We are his army of God lovers who are called and armed to advance the reign of God and take ground that the enemy has previously occupied. You see, evil advances through the love of power. Dad's army conquers through the power of love. A church full of people who fully know their heavenly dad is living in the loving family of a church filled with the Father's love. A family called by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit and combating fatherlessness all over the world. That's the kind of church that I want to be part of. Psalm 68 reminds us of God's character. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. And Marcus read it earlier, Malachi 4. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. You see, for us, the church, the task for those who are already members of God's family is to have their own father wounds healed so that they can carry, they can be carriers of the Father's love. So these next few days, my prayer is that we would receive a fresh revelation of the Father's love now. So we might have our father wounds, and of course our mother's wounds, and they'll be covering that tomorrow as well. You see... God wants to heal those wounds. Because no earthly dad is perfect. My dad wasn't perfect. His dad wasn't perfect. Despite my best efforts, I'm not perfect. As a dad, I'm ishish. (laughs) (laughs) And if we start talking about father wounds and mother wounds, it's not that we're dishonouring our parents, but we're recognising that the only perfect dad is our heavenly dad. And so here I just want to very briefly look at some different types of fathers. Oh, there we go. There's the absent father. And this may be your experience. A father who was never there. Marcus talked a little bit about that. Or a way for much of the time. It's a brilliant book written by Don Miller entitled To Own a Dragon, Reflections on Growing Up Without a Father. He never knew his father at all. And he said, for me, to have a father was an unreal experience as if you were to say to me, you could own a dragon. No concept of it at all. And that can have a profound effect on us if our fathers are absent. The apathetic father. The father without emotions. The father who is emotionally detached from us. The addicted father. A father who is dependent on mind-altering substances or behaviour. The achievement-driven father all about making the standard. It's all about hitting the grade. 
Certainly that was my experience, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But a father who makes you feel the only way to win his love and be valued is to do well in exams or sport or a career or other types of achievement. The authoritarian father. Of course, discipline is needed, but also affection. How many people would love their dad just to still hug them now? And for whatever reason, he can't. There's a a musician who is the lead singer of the band The Eels, and he talks about the day he came home and discovered his dad had died. And it was the first time as he as he moved his dad's body, the first time he had touched his dad ever in his life. It has profound impacts on us. The abdicating father, someone who fails to be involved, promises are not kept. Yes, son, yes, daughter, I'll do that with you. And they never are there. And finally, the abusive father, And this is probably the most damaging, verbally abusive, physically abusive, sexually abusive, emotionally abusive, and spiritually abusive. You see, my dad is a good man. My dad knows and loves Jesus. But I still carry wounds from being fathered by him. My dad was the kind of person that thought that the best way for me to be motivated was for me never quite to reach the mark that he had set for me. So if I came home and said, Dad, Dad, I'm really pleased, I've got a C in whatever it was. School was never easy for me. Uh, when my brother arrived at secondary school two years after me, the, one to, uh, the sports teacher said to him, Eakins, so I said that, and uh, he said, are you related to Adam Eakins? He said, yes, I'm his brother. Oh, well, you won't have much to live up to, will you? But I would come home and I'd say to my dad, I've got a C in whatever it was. And he said, son, that's really good. Next time get a B. That was how my dad encouraged me. And his, mot- his reasons for doing it were really good. But I ne- never felt like I met the mark. And still now, if anything, anything good happens in my life at 42... The first person I want to tell is my dad because I just want him to say, well done. I just want him to say, well done. And the other thing is that my dad can't hug me. I've tried. It was a disaster. (laughs) I thought to myself, I'm going to do it this time. I don't care what he feels. And I hugged him and it it was just awful. And it was years ago and we've never done it since and we're not going anywhere near it again. But when my children were born, my, my, my dad said to me, this is my, when my oldest son was born, he said, I've held Joel more than I've ever held you. And at that time I thought, you've only held Joel about three or four times. Now my dad's a, a great man. I think he, a bit like Marcus, I think he was limited by his own father, who was an alcoholic, and my dad spent most of his teenage years when he could drive, going and picking him up and bringing him home. But we carry wounds. We carry stuff. And I know it impacts me still today. Dr. Robert McGee, author of The Search for Significance, says, Not everyone goes through the severe trauma of abuse, abandonment or gross neglect, but many fathers may nibble around the edges of these faults, perhaps leaving tiny bite marks in the spirits of their children rather than gaping holes of emptiness. And the effect on men and women can be quite different. The effect on women when they've got father wounds can include unsure about femininity and self-worth, doubts about over-attractiveness and value, confusion about identity, act out in inappropriate and harmful ways, looking for a daddy figure in men and could be suspicious of men. The effects on men can include underdeveloped sense of masculinity, not sure how to rate to women, confusion about identity, 
fall into the performance achievement trap. I've got to do well at work. I've got to make more money. I've got to get the right position. Or sporting prowess. Never a problem for me, but... uh, Or fame. Or getting involved in violence and gang. Or ending up with frozen feelings, can't express things. Or feeling too much. And so they numb the pain with alcohol, food or drugs or behave in a way to avoid the pain. That can be through sex, work, violence. But there is a good father. And a good father values fatherhood, displays affections, gets involved provides security, sets an example, gives affirmation, shares wisdom, establishes boundaries, releases hope, and leaves a legacy. I think this is true. But, if we're honest, we all have wounds. And to give me a break from talking for a few moments, on the back of your handout is a father wound inventory. And it asks you to put an X on the line below. If your X lies near the wound end of these lines, then acknowledge that you have been unjustly denied a father's love in these areas. If your X lies near the blessing end of the spectrum, then give thanks for your father's gift to you in this area. And so in just in a few moments, I just want you to write an X on the line which best represents your father. And I know some people here never knew their father, and so some of these questions they won't be able to answer. But just take a few moments to do that. Let's just pray. Lord, we recognise that none of our fathers were perfect. Some of our fathers were absent. Some of our fathers were unable to give affection. Some of our fathers were abusive. Some of our fathers messed up in a whole variety of ways. And some of our fathers affirmed us. Some of our fathers stuck with us. Some of our fathers were kind to us. You know each and every one of our situation intimately. And in acknowledging where things may have gone wrong, acknowledging the wounds. I believe that you want to bring healing into those wounds. You want us to know you as our heavenly dad who loves us so much. who would speak over those words, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. So Lord, as we continue now, as we open your word and we look at scripture, bring that fresh revelation of your love and heal these wounds, we pray. Amen. John 14 verse 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And one of my favourite verses, John 14, verse 8. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. You see, what is it today that brings satisfaction to a person? I truly believe it's a revelation of the Father's love. You see, Jesus brings salvation, but the Father brings satisfaction. Brendan Manning, and I have to remind myself to say Brendan and not Bernard, because they're completely different people. (laughs) Brendan Manning says this, The deepest desire of our hearts is for union with God. From the first moment of our existence, our most powerful yearning is to fulfil the original purpose of our lives. To see him more clearly, love him more dearly, follow him more nearly. We are made for God and nothing less will really satisfy us. 
So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke 15, verses 11 to 24. Luke 15, verses 11 to 24. You see, this is the greatest story, I believe, the greatest story told by the world's greatest storyteller. See, a young son goes to the father and he says to him, I want what's coming to me. I want my share. I want my inheritance. The father is still alive. We have a problem here. Because it is like the son saying, I wish you were dead. And if you look up any uh, Bible study books on this, they will talk about the fact that in that culture, to ask for your inheritance before your father was dead was incredibly insulting and the deepest of rejection. I think it's pretty much the same today, isn't it, really? If my son came up to me and goes, I'd like my third now, I'd be pretty offended. There's a problem. Yet, the father in the story lets his son have what he wants. Just like sometimes our heavenly dad gives us what we want in order to expose what we need. And the boy goes off. There's women involved, apparently. There's parties. There's all kinds of uh, life. Lives the life of Riley. Loses everything. And there, amongst the pigs, he realises that the servants back home are better off than he is now. So he decides to return to his father, say sorry, and spend the rest of his life as a slave to pay off his debts. But incredibly, we read in the second part of verse 20 this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. We see the amazing actions of a loving father. He says nothing at this point but does everything. Five things happen. The dad, first of all, saw his son. And it kind of suggests to us that the father had been out there watching, waiting. We have no idea how long the son had been away. And we have no idea how long the father spent each day watching. Maybe it was first thing in the morning, last thing at night. Maybe he wandered out there and just looked. But the father is watching and waiting. He keeps watch. The second thing is, he had compassion for him. Not anger. Not anger, but compassion. But this compassion isn't a drippy, wet thing, but in the Middle Eastern context, it conveys the idea of his intestines being cut open. We might say heartbroken. But they would say, actually the intestines were cut with compassion. It was that gut-wrenching feeling, experience. The father is so deeply moved, it's as if his intestines have been cut. He feels pity for the boy, compassion for the boy. Third thing he does is he runs. Actually, it should read that he races out. He races out. Why does he race out? Because he wants to protect the son. Because actually the villagers would have known what the son has done. And the son has dishonoured and disgraced the father. And so if the villagers get there first, they are probably going to spit at him at best and lob bricks or stone or whatever at him at worst. So part of the reason the father races out is to protect the son. And it's a race against time. And so the father lifts up his robe, something that no man of his age would ever be seen doing. And as he does, he exposes his underwear. A complete no-no, as it would be if I did that today. I'm not going to do that second. Although I did put clean on because it was a special occasion. (laughs) But the father in this story doesn't care about his honour. He just wants to protect 
his son. Now, when I was growing up and I learnt this story, in my head, I've always seen it as kind of similar to the sound of music. And the son and the father are running with beautiful hills and they kind of embrace at the top of the... I don't know why I've got that in my head. But that's always what I had growing up. And there's kind of wonderful music and they embrace and it's lovely. Actually, this probably happened down the back alley where all the animals were kept. And animals being animals do the things that animals do. And so this back alley would have been covered in poo. Absolutely covered in it. And the father, wearing sandals, lifts up his robe and he doesn't give a monkey's. He doesn't care about his honour. He's going to get to the son. Fourth thing, he embraces him. It literally means that he fell upon the boy's neck. Now the boy had been working with pigs. And pigs smell, or things that pigs do smell. He would have probably been smelling of pig poo and certainly maybe covered in it. The dad may have even smelt him before he saw him. (laughs) But also, the boy in Jewish terms was untouchable. Yet the father doesn't care. He hugs his son. And finally, the father kisses him. And the original conveys kissing continuously. It's like he kissed him once and he kissed him twice and then he stood back and he looked at him and he kissed him again and again and again and again. The father saw him. He felt for him. He ran to him. He embraced him and he kissed him. Actions often speak louder than words. It's extravagant love. The perfect dad, Abba, father. And the boy tries to get some words out in verse 21. But if you look at it, you'll notice he never even gets to the point about living as a servant. The father won't let him. He will not be a slave, but a son. And then he gives him three things. He gives him, first of all, a robe. I don't know whether you've ever thought about the three things that are given, but I think they have significance He gives them a robe, and it's a beautiful garment that would have been given to VIP guests. The robe is placed over his son's weary and dirty body. Now all the unclean stains are covered by this amazing garment. The robe blots out the dirt and the smell, and the son is totally, instantly, unconditionally forgiven. Filthy rags replaced by a royal robe of righteousness. Total forgiveness, total pardon, total salvation. The second thing he gives him is a ring. It's the family signet ring. Now, if I was turning this into a movie, as the son leaves to go off and live the life of Riley, I'd have had the son take the ring off his finger and kind of throw it at the feet of the father. And then as the sun disappears off into the distance, very slowly the father would just pick up the ring and hold it in his hands. And then you'd see maybe every day he'd get it out of his pocket and look at it, wishing for his son to return. But that's just my my film director dreams. The son abandons the ring on leaving, probably, but dad kept it. And he gives him the ring. And the ring was the family signet ring. And the ring was two things. It was his identity and it was his authority. The ring says very clearly, you are my son. The ring is his identity. But the ring is also his authority. Because whenever he went around the family estate... When people saw the ring and he said things needed to be done, the people would do it. Because he has the ring, he has his identity as a son, but he also has his authority. The ring is his sonship. It's his identity as the father's son. And it would be worn on the index finger. It's full 
identity and leading to full authority. What he said now carried the authority of the Father. And the more you understand your identity as sons and daughters of our heavenly dad, the greater you will exercise who you are. You see, let us not just focus on what we've been saved from, but also what we've been saved into. See, the ring tells the son who he is and others also. When others saw the ring, they would know this boy is the father's son. So the robe says forgiveness. The ring says your family. And finally, he's given shoes. Now, if you've got the NIV, I think the NIV translates it as sandals, which is a rubbish translation, because these were kind of like the best shoes ever. I don't know what the equivalent... I've never bought really expensive shoes... Tim, but what, Marcus, what would you would be? Someone who would wear it with your wealth around the churches. These were the best shoes. And the shoes speak of destiny. What the son, knowing he's forgiven and knowing his identity, was going to walk out in. The shoes say, You are free. So it's history forgiven, identity revealed, and destiny discovered. And lived out, and now it's a party. About 200 people would have been invited. The father wanted everyone to know his son is back. What he is wearing, the robe, the ring, and the shoes, says it all. Never has the saying, You are what you wear, meant more. But let me just think about that ring for a moment. The ring is about our identity. And if we're honest, so many of us struggle with this. We may ask ourselves, do I fit in? Am I accepted? Am I okay? What do others think of me? Am I worthy? How can God really love me? Am I good enough? Am I too big, too small, too fat, too thin, too old, too young, not clever enough, not confident enough? And many, many other things. And so many of our worries and concerns and fears come from us not understanding our true identity as sons and daughters of our loving Heavenly Father. So let me ask you tonight, have you got the ring? Have you got the ring? Do you know that you are sons and daughters? Because I think this is the bit that we often miss out. We understand that we are forgiven. We've got the robe. We understand we're forgiven. And we understand that we have a destiny to live out. We've got the shoes. But we've missed out on the ring. We've missed out on our identity. And without knowing who we fully are in our Heavenly Father, then we get stuck with the other stuff. You see, most people can get that they're saved and have a future in Christ but miss out on the ring. And I think my experience of my dad has shaped me in this. Because I would say, if someone said to me, you've got the ring, your identity is as a son of the father, I'd say, yeah, absolutely, and I'll put it on. But then what happens is, as I go around my life, for whatever reason, I feel like the ring slips off. I lose who I am as a son of the father. And unfortunately, because my upbringing, my, my, my own father, it was all about seeking to gain approval. I fall into that performance trap. And that's a bad place for a minister to be. Because almost all the time, I want to know from my congregation, am I doing okay? Am I doing okay? Am I all right? Is it okay? And so what I, what I do, if someone would say, Adam, you know, that was really good what you did this morning, I would allow myself to put the ring back on. I go, yeah. But then it would fall off again because I didn't fully understand who I am. And then if someone came up and said, that was really rubbish, (laughs) then the ring could be kicked away for some time. And one of the most profound revelations for me was, I've got the ring and it is super glued (laughs) 
on my finger. And so I went off and bought myself a ring. Because I want to be reminded daily that the Father loves me. It's not about what I do. He loves me. It's not about reaching a certain mark. He loves me. My identity is as his son. And understanding who we are, who we are starts with us experiencing the Father's love. We will only love others if we have known love ourselves. If you ask me what kind of church do we want to be, I would answer a place where each of us has a full revelation of the Father's love for us. A church where we all know that we have the ring. And the Father's love so fills our lives and our churches that we go in the power of our Father's love and share it with orphans everywhere. Where people discover history forgiven, identity revealed, destiny discovered. And so as I finish, I just want to ask you, have you got the ring? There is a ring with your name on which says your identity as sons and daughters of the Father. Have you got the ring? Or did you have the ring, but you're not wearing it? Do you fully understand who you are as sons and daughters of Dad? I'd like us just to watch a short video clip, which I think sums this up. Sometimes we think our dad is going to tell us off. But our heavenly dad just wants to play with us and enjoy us. Thank you so much, Adam, for sharing that. That was such a... a, It was a brilliant video and it was such a profound message. Thank you, brother. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Let's let's stand together, shall we? Let's um, have a time now of... um, Acknowledging that we're here in the, in the presence of our loving Father. And we are here. And if you're anything like me, I want to say yes. I want to receive that. <laughs> I want to receive that, that um, affirmation, that, that knowing of who we are. So um, why don't you stand like a penguin like I did in my story, if you want to. Just as a way of just saying, yes, Father, I, I, want, I want to receive. And... Um, it's nothing magic, it's just a way of saying, yes, Father, I want to receive, I want to receive that affirmation of who I am. Mm. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth that we've heard tonight, that we are beloved sons and daughters, that you love us. Thank you for that robe that says we're forgiven. The ring that says we are family. And the shoes that say we have a destiny to walk out. Thank you. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. We know that the Holy Spirit is here, but we say, come Holy Spirit, one of the oldest prayers in the church, more for us than for him, more to say, we are open to you. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Thank you, Lord. And we're going to waste time with God tonight. We're going to waste time with our Father. We're going to spend time. We're not in a rush. Just going to wait on him.
Thank you, Father, that you're pouring your love out into our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. And for some here, just again, as a way of just waiting on God, as opposed to hands out, you might just want to place your hand where you feel that ring should be, where that ring is, in fact. Just symbolically, just just maybe just place a, a finger or two where you think, yeah, I have that, I've been given that ring, that identity. Just a way of saying, just symbolically, thank you. Just... As you're doing that, just thank God for that truth that you are family, that you are beloved, that you are his. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing and for your peace and for your presence here. Bless what you're doing. Thank you, Father. Tonight we also want to offer for anyone, you might be just happy where you are. You're just receiving from the Lord. You know you're receiving. That's fine. But if you would like someone to pray with you, then we'd love to pray with you. Um, And... uh, that's very simple if you'd like that, if you'd like someone to pray for you, maybe particularly around that whole area of identity, that whole idea, area of um, knowing that you're loved, that you don't have to earn it, you don't have to perform for it, knowing that you're accepted. Particularly want to uh, sense of some people who spend their life we all do this at times, but this has become almost like something you can't stop doing. It's like um, a, a comparing yourself to others. And you're not always worse. It's just you're sometimes better or worse. And it's just a constant better or worse. A bit like what Adam was saying up here about good sermon, bad sermon. I'm a son, now I'm not. I'm a daughter, now I'm not. And actually... The Father wants to say, it is not for others <laughs> to say that over you, because I have spoken over you, and you are. And so, if that is a word for you, you'd like prayer for that, um, I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up at exactly the same time, so we won't know what you're coming up for. Um, so, if you're in the ministry team, or if you'd like a, a prayer into that, into that whole sense of identity, of being just affirmed, this is fundamental. I just want to encourage you to come up come up right now. Come up all together right now, just to the front, just right in front of where I am. Ministry team will come up, and please just come up for that. Um, please continue also to come up. If, if there's any other aspect, it may not be particularly to do with comparisons. It might be simply to do with that whole sense of just, yeah, I'd like someone to pray for me, to be affirmed in my identity, who I am as a beloved son or daughter. Please just, just come up. We'd love to pray with you. I often make the mistake at these sort of conferences of leaving it way too late, and then at the last session, the whole world runs up. Don't do that. Don't make my mistake. Just come up now, and we'll pray for you. Let's keep receiving. Let's just keep receiving where we are. Let's just uh, allow God to minister to each of us individually where we are. Jussie, if I could just ask you to come up as well and just uh, lead us in a little bit of uh, music as well. And feel free just to come up at any point. Father, we praise and thank you for what you're doing. Continue to pour out your love into our hearts, we pray, through your Holy Spirit. We thank you. 